The reading today comes from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hands of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I am old and grey, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honour and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. O oh my God, I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's a great uh, delight to be with you again and uh, a great honour to be preaching here this morning. If you were sitting in a bus reading your Bible and somebody asked you, what is that book about? A good short reply would be, this book is about God. Remember that? That could be useful one day. What's that book about? This book is about God. And the Bible is a book about God. But extraordinarily, though it is a book about God, there are people on every page. So it's a book about God and about people and how people relate to God. You see, the, the Bible could be just a book of instructions from God. Do this, do this, don't do this, 
believe this, don't believe this, do this. But the Bible also shows us life with God from below, as it were, from the human perspective. It shows people, well, enjoying God, receiving God's gifts, serving God, letting God down, disobeying God, trusting God, doubting God, following God, falling away from God, returning to God. So the Bible not only tells us who God is and what God is like, the Bible also tells us what it's like to be a person who lives in God's world and more particularly what it's like to be the people of God, to be God's person. And one reason I love reading the book of Psalms is because there we find the people of God when they're praying to God. And the thing which strikes me is, that how, is how honest and open people are when they pray to God in the Bible. They don't just go with a shopping list of things they want God to deal with. They open their hearts to God. They open their lives to God. They open their faith to God. They open their doubts to God. They open their sins to God. They open their struggles to God as well. Not only do the people in the Psalms speak honestly and openly and authentically with God, not only do they say to God just what they are thinking and just what they are feeling, but they also write down their prayers so they can repeat them. And they write down their prayers so that other people can pray them. And then someone sets their prayers to music. And then these prayers which these people have prayed and written down and set to music, God not only hears these prayers, but then has inspired these prayers by his Spirit and includes them in the Bible. Isn't it extraordinary? The Bible includes the failures of the people of God. It also includes their response to God when they have failed. The Bible records people struggling with God, but also telling God about their struggle. And I'd like us to look at Psalm 71 now, and we'll see how this works out in practice. In the first eight verses, what the writer of the psalm does is to spend time saying to God, I trust you. Well, isn't that a great thing to do? If you do trust God, it's very good to say, I trust you. You see how that will change our prayers, our intercessions, if we begin by spending some time saying to God, I trust you. <laughs> That's why I'm praying to you, because I trust you. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me. 
turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel man. For you've been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I'll ever praise you. I've become a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. So what the writer of the psalm is doing is saying to God, I trust you. I do trust you. I have trusted you, I still trust you. This is long-term trust. Well, we'll soon discover the psalmist doesn't always trust God. So it's a bit like when the people said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. We can say to God, I trust you, but please help me to trust you. So one of the things I do, I've written out a prayer of trust to God, which I pray frequently. I trust the Lord Jesus Christ as the good, loving, and powerful Saviour, Head, and Judge of his Church. I trust that you'll bring glory to yourself in the church and in Christ Jesus, and I trust you, God, as the one who judges justly. And that sets me free to pray, do you see? Once I've said to God, I trust you, then my prayers are enlivened and enriched and enlightened by that statement of my trust. I do trust God. How wonderful to say to God, I trust you. It's a bit like uh, do you remember in Paul's letters, he, 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 when he's about to say to somebody, I'm praying for, for you or for a church, he says, well, we always thank God for you whenever we pray for you. So when I'm praying for someone, I always thank God for them first. And if I thank God for someone before I pray for them, that encourages my prayers, do you see, because I thank God and see how God is already working in their lives. So my prayers are strengthened by my thanksgiving for people as I pray for them, as my prayers are strengthened by my trust, by saying to God, I trust you. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Well, do you as a church trust God? Yes, yeah, a cautious, yes. Have you got the text up there? Are you could put the first verse up, would you? Is it there? Uh, one of the great things to, ter- to do is to turn the Bible into prayer. So I'd like us to say the first verse, but not, uh, 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 let's say the first verse together, that is, We'll say to God together, in you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Let's say it together. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Or verse 3 would be good. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me. 
for you are my rock and my fortress. And notice how having said to God, I trust you, then uh, in verses 9 to 13, the next section, uh, the writer of the psalm talks about his distress and his worry. So both sides are true, you say. You see, first of all, he says, I trust you. Then he says, verse 9, do not cast me away, do not forsake me. My enemies speak against me. Those who want to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him. Be not far from me, God. Come quickly, O oh my God, to help me. Do you see, the right of the son wants to say both things. He wants to say, I trust you, but here's what I need. Don't cast me away. Don't forsake me. Don't be far from me. Come quickly to help me. You see, you can trust God, but still need his help. You can say, I do trust God, but that doesn't stop you saying, I need your help. It enables you to say, I need your help. One of the first sermons I preached when I was a theological student at Ridley College in Melbourne was from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Do you remember uh, Hannah is childless and praying that she might have a child and she's in the temple and she's praying away and Eli the priest thinks she's drunk. Isn't that hopeless? Isn't that pathetic? See someone praying and thinks they must be drunk if they're praying. Anyway, her reply is wonderful. She says, I've been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing to do? A wonderful expression to pour out your heart to the Lord. People sometimes uh, come to visit me and they say, look, I've, I've got this problem uh, and I don't know what to do. I'd like you to tell me. So I always say, have you read the Bible? That might be a better place to start than me because I'm a fountain of foolishness, why not go to the Bible? And other times people come to me and say, look, I'm really distressed about this thing which is happening, so I thought I'd come to you for comfort. Well, I'm very happy to comfort people who are distressed, but I always say to them, actually the best person to go to is, who do you think? God. Actually, the first person to go to is God. We read in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes God as the Father of this listen to this, listen to this, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation. That's a wonderful phrase. To say that God is the God of all consolation is to say that God has an infinite supply of consolation. As much consolation as you need in any situation, God has all the consolation you need. But the little phrase, all consolation, means every kind of consolation. So you might think, nobody could understand this particular pain in my life. No one would understand me. No one would understand why this hurts so much, but God does. For God knows us better than we know ourselves. God is the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation. 
And I often uh, say to young ministers that they're suffering from a dangerous consolation deficit. If they don't get their consolation from God, they will try to get it from their wife or, worse, from somebody else's wife or from the adulation of the congregation or from people's gratitude or from a bottle of some kind or from drugs. See, if we don't go first to God and find our consolation in God, we'll try and use other people and other things. Which is why this section is such a wonderful prayer. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. What a terrible situation. Those who want to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him. No one will rescue him. That's not true. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. People often describe prayer as practicing the presence of God. But here in verse 12, prayer is saying, God, you seem a long way away. Well, we know God isn't a long way away. But if we feel God is a long way away, if God seems a long way away, it's best to say it, isn't it? Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. Trust, you see, leads to a healthy prayer for help. And trust, verses 1 to 8, a prayer for help, verses 9 to 13, then leads to hope. A prayer for help based on trust leads to hope. But as for me, verse 14, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. I love that word hope. What's the difference between having faith in God and hoping in God? Having faith in God is trusting God. Having hope in God is trusting that the good things God has promised he will do. And Paul describes the authentic Christian and the authentic Christian church as marked by faith and hope and love. And one of the saddest things I see is Christians who are living their Christian life without hope in God and churches which have lost their hope in God, their certainty in God, and people doing Christian ministry who are still faithful but have lost their hope. But as for me, verse 14, I always have hope. I'll praise you more and more. So what the writer of the psalm is doing is, is expressing his confidence to God that out of his present distress will come a time of prayer 
and praise and hope. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation, all day long, though I know not its measure. I'll come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord, and proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Isn't it wonderful that you can go from saying, be not far from me, O God, verse 12, to say, verse 16, I'll come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I'll proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you've taught me, even to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I'm old and grey, do not forsake me, O my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, to those who are to come. So this hope is so powerful, so pervasive, that, that the writer of the psalm can't keep it to himself. He wants to tell other people of God's goodness and kindness. And there's a sign of an answered prayer, isn't it? Not just that I feel better, but that I want to tell other people of the goodness and kindness of God. Now here's a good rule. Every time God answers a prayer, tell somebody else about it. I was sitting in the uh, airport cafe in Melbourne on yesterday, about to get onto the plane, and a family came in, uh, sat at the table next to me, and before they had their lunch, uh, they, they bowed their heads and they prayed. Isn't that lovely? So before I left, I went across and I said, you were praising God for your food, weren't you? I said, I'm praising God because you were praising God. I was so encouraged. Thank you so much for doing that. I then discovered they were Americans, and Americans are very prone for prayer in public restaurants. So uh, <laughs> thank God for America, that's all I can say. <laughs> but how wonderful, you see, because uh, it's easy for us to... To, to share our burdens, let's share our praise and our hope as well. Trust, verses 1 to 8. Help, a prayer for help, verses 9 to 13. Leads to hope, verses 14 to 21. Notice that the... We've, we've had the complaint, but we've had, we've got, now got all this praise of God. Your righteousness, verse 19, reaches to the skies, O God. You've done great things. O God, who is like you? you you've made, though you've made me see troubles many and bitter, you'll restore my life again. Notice the agony and the ecstasy in the same prayer. Notice the wonder and fullness of the praise of God but also the realistic depth of despair, but also the hope that God will be the helper. In some churches, and I'm sure it's not true, I hope it's not true here, everyone feels they have to give the impression that life is wonderful. How are you going? Everything's fine, thanks. Having a wonderful time. As if the Christian life is always you have to be always happy and fulfilled and joyful. I remember talking to a pastor's wife uh, at a church I was visiting, and uh, I'd been talking about on the subject of depression. And she came to me afterwards and she said, I think I should tell you, I've never told anybody else, but I'm depressed. And she said, but pastor's wives shouldn't be depressed. I said, don't be foolish. That wasn't a very nice thing to say, was it, to a depressed person? I said, don't be foolish. Anybody can be depressed. I'm depressed. That's all right. 
You don't have to be a happy, zappy Christian all the time. But you can be occasionally if you want to be. That's all right. If you want to be happy and zappy, do it by all means. But do you see how honest the writer of the psalm is about the agony and the ecstasy? The joy in God, the confidence in God, and yet the real distress. Though you've made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. Well, what a great message for Christchurch. For our troubles may be our personal troubles, and no one gets through life unscarred. I've never met anybody who hasn't eventually talked about a deep personal pain they've had. No one gets through life unscarred. We don't always know what their scars are, but boy, it's true. Or it might be the scars of church life and the difficulties and challenges of church life. But we're also, you see, affected of the troubles of the human community in which we live. We can't avoid, we can't hide away from those. We feel those troubles. Not just what's happened, but also dealing with other people's grief about what happened. Though you've made me see troubles many and bitter, you'll restore my life again from the depths of the earth. Isn't that extraordinary? He's just said in verse 19, your righteousness reaches to the skies. Then he says in verse 20, from the depths of the earth you'll bring me up again. So he knows the glory and wonder and majesty and splendor and power of God. And also the depth of despair and sorrow which is part of human life. One doesn't cancel out the other. Both are true in this life. I love that uh, comment by uh, the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. He's writing about a verse in Romans, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. His comment is, if God works all things for good, for our good, then nothing works for our ill. If God works all things for our good, then nothing works for our ill. And one advantage of being an old Christian is that you see how the sorrows and tragedies of life, well, God has actually brought good things out of them. And that will be the subject of our praise for eternity. Trust, help, hope, and finally, praise. Notice the sequence. You trust God. You ask God for help. You hope in God. And then you praise God. What's the difference, by the way, between thanking God and praising God? Why? You thank God for something he's done for you. You praise God for who he is. Now, I'm not married, but if I had a wife, I hope I would not only thank her, but also praise her. Not only say thank you for a hundred breakfasts, but you are the best wife in the whole world 
I could ever find. It's good to thank God, but even better to praise God, because then we're praising God for who he is. I will praise you, verse 22, with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I'll sing praise to you with the lyre, a holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise. Do you shout when you pray, by the way? Have you ever shouted when you prayed? Well, you should give it a go. <laughs> Have you ever sung when you've been praying? Hands up those who've sung when they've been praying. Terrific. More of you should be doing it. Start singing when you're praying. Start shouting when you're praying. The neighbours will complain, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. Isn't that wonderful? For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Well, I was going to preach on another psalm, but I think we'll, I'll leave that because... You've listened to quite enough. So let me say that I want to expand and enrich your prayers. For so often when we pray, we're asking for things. And then if we don't get them, we feel that our prayer has been a waste of time. But saying to God, I trust you, is not a waste of time, is it? Asking for God's help is not a waste of time. Telling God you hope in him is not a waste of time. And praising God is not a waste of time. Because of who you are and because of who God is. And we, of course, know even more of God's greatness and kindness and mercy and the, his constancy and faithfulness because he sent his son, the Lord Jesus. He came in person to be our saviour, to rescue us, to deliver us and bring us new life in him. I think we should say Verse, this is 22 and 23 together. But what we'll do is not say I, but we. So we'll praise you, oh, our God. We'll sing to you. We'll shout, okay? It'll be easier if we can, we can say we, because then if you don't feel embarrassed about shouting, you don't have to. So. <laughs> Let's end this sermon by praising God. Verses 22 and 23. We will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O our God. We will pray grace to you with the lyre, a holy one of Israel. Our lips will shout for joy when we sing praise to you, we whom you have redeemed. Amen.